welcome to the Astor Economic Review. My name is John Eckstein. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Astor Investment Management. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Nick Porter. Nick, hello. Hi, John. It's been a while since we've gone on the pod together. I think our listeners have been crying out for your insights. And I'm so sure. satisfy them today, I hope, as a roadmap. We'll talk a little bit about the data that's come out in the last, I don't know, 10 days or so. Little Fed preview and call it uh, a job well done. So what did you think about the payrolls number that came out? You know, I think that the 10,000 foot view that you and I have been talking about for a while, just sort of set the stage is that the economy was running well above potential following the pandemic, you know, a mixture of things like supply chain issues, but also large fiscal stimulus and monetary impulse. Um, and our expectation over the past, say, uh, year has been that we would sort of return to a potential return to steady-state growth. You've seen that in other data points, things like ISM numbers, but it hasn't quite materialized in the labor market. I think over the past three months or so, the non-farm payroll sprint has averaged around 150 to 190,000 gain months over months. And to some extent, that's encouraging, right? We're seeing the economy get back to a more normal state and hopefully inflation falls along with it persistently. So uh, in that respect, the non-farm payroll number of last month was 187,000. And I think that sort of points towards ongoing normalization in the labor market. Yeah, I would agree with that. The pace of labor market gains has slowed. If you look at a year-over-year chart, payroll gains are up about 2% year-on-year, and that is a high normal level for the current millennium. Though if we keep on going at 87s, then that will drop to below normal level, which I still think that the Fed does want to see. You know, if you look at direct measures of labor market slack, such as unemployment or underemployment, those are still extremely low, saying little slack in the labor market, but off their lows, which I think is a little bit of a relief to people who think the economy needs to slow to get inflation under control. And if you look at some of the Put a more esoteric indicators such as the the quits rate, the percentage of employed people who quit in the last month, the high level, but off its highs. If you look at temporary service employment, it's easier to fire a temp than it is to, or not hire a temp than it is to, you know, fire Steve who works in billing or whatever. That is off its highs, but still at a high level. So we've got a lot of things telling the same story of perhaps incipient labor market slack, though honestly, like this level of employment would also be consistent with another surge in inflation, I think, given the right sort of shock from the from outside. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And it's sort of this curious question of the shape of the Phillips curve and how closely related are, are things like labor market slack and, and inflation. Of course, some of that is also from uh, real wage gains, which is really the, the strength of the consumer, and the consumer in turn is the strength of the U.S. economy. So there's a question about how much space does the consumer have less not left before they, they sort of return to trend consumption habits. You've heard a lot about the uh, restarting of student loan payments, yep. and then this sort of concept of, uh, of excess savings, this, this um, idea that there's perhaps 
more savings in the average consumer's pocket than there was prior to the pandemic. And that was sort of a loose term that the general idea is that access um, savings are, are nearly depleted or have already been depleted. The other news that came out that we look at pretty closely would be the purchasing managers' surveys. Those are soft data, but they're extremely timely and they're not subject to revision. So, you know, we do like them. And I think the story there is that the manufacturing PMIs are quite low. Maybe not, they're not, you know, sort of rock bottom, unambiguous recession, but they're, they're well under normal. And the service PMIs had been well under normal and are now back to low normal areas. Is that your read in the personal managers indices? No, I think I would disagree a little bit with that. The ISM manufacturing actually picked up. So 50 is sort of the neither growth nor uh, contraction level in, in these indices, right? So the ISM indice was at 46 last month and for the month of August, at 47.6. So again, sort of in this contraction territory, but maybe suggestive volume. Yeah. Services, meanwhile, is at 54.5, which is quite high, in my opinion, relative to sort of the, where we are in the economy writ large. And that's up from the prior month of 52.7 and, and well above expectations. Um, so my sort of take from that is no real sign of immediate slowing, particularly in the services side of the economy. You know, I would say that just eyeballing it, that the services PMI is probably, you know, like 40th percentile or something like that. So I guess I was a little pessimistic on that. And so as I recall, the Institute for Supply Management, who makes the PMIs, says that levels actually above 48 and a half are consistent with economic growth. So it's not quite, so I mean, the 50% line is is the line, sure, but like in terms of like where growth happens, that, that seems to be where, where it was. And so, yeah, right. So it is in the high 40s, 47 ish. And, you know, it's a low point in the double O. The 2001 recession was about 41. It's a low point in the 2008 recession was about 35. So low and the lowest it's you know, sort of in a, still in an area which is the lowest it's been since the 08 recession, but not as low as it gets in recession. So again, I guess maybe a little bit of a nuanced point. And I will say also that the international PMIs are on the weak side as well. If you look at the Eurozone in particular, their manufacturing PMI is lower than the US. Japan and South Korea are about normal, but Taiwan is quite low. But if you look at the world as a whole, you would see a lot of below average and almost no above average. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And John, I guess this brings us to China. For those of you who haven't been following along, China's experienced recent deflation bouts. Um, there's obviously concerns about the real estate market, overbuilding capacity and infrastructure, and also this idea that policymakers there aren't, aren't really willing to do what sort of the traditional prescription would be for a slowing economy, which is boost consumer spending, um, and instead are relying on increasing exports. And maybe just don't have the toolkit or the, or the mindset to deal with this. Now, I would note that the spillovers to the U.S. economy are probably relatively limited. It's like huge export market of hours. As John, what do you what do you see sort of the, the near term trajectory for China and impacts on the U.S.? I think it's an important fundamental factor. I think it's a 
thing that I'm always pretty certain that the overwhelming majority of U.S. European market participants don't have a firm handle on basically always seems to come as a shock. I don't see, I think they're going to do their typical muddle along thing, right? If there is severe signs of slowing or unambiguous weakness, then they will figure out a way to stimulate the economy a little bit. But, you know, there are people been telling them that they have to, you know, move away from real estate growth as the main source of domestic demand. And so now they are, and nobody likes it. <laughs> it's always hard to give up your habit. I see them as continued slow growth, but I mean, so the, the bigger question or an additional question, maybe not bigger, is like, is the rest of the world still willing to accommodate China the way they have been, right? So like, the whole developed world has been pretty willing to outsource its manufacturing sector to China, you know, save a few bucks. And that is not as popular an idea as it was when everything was just like super cheap at Walmart and people hadn't really lost their jobs yet. So I think there's probably more talk than action on the, the onshoring or friendshoring idea, but is still something to watch for, right? Like if China's share of manufacturing gets whacked up between Bangladesh, Vietnam, India, and a little bit of high-end stuff in the developed world, is that a neutral for economic growth? Is that negative on economic growth in the world, the world environment? I'm not so sure. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think is interesting is I'm getting a sense of the housing market maybe starting to look a little stronger. You follow that pretty closely. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know the general characterization of the housing market is that the Fed was hoping that higher rates would lead to lower home prices. And I think for anyone out there who's looked at buying a home recently, obviously that hasn't happened. Part of that story, or really maybe the main part, is that homeowners might have the opportunity to sell their home at a nice profit. But of course, the question then is, now what? And they would have to take out a mortgage and 7% for a 30-year fixed and buy a new home. So there is sort of this tug of not a lot of new home supply. But I would say that demand has been surprisingly robust. It seems like people are willing to take out mortgages for a high rate. So new one-home families that were sold on an annualized basis to 114000 in in the month of July. So not really a huge, a huge slowdown there. It's a bit of a puzzle. I guess my overall characterization of the housing market is that it's remained surprisingly robust, sort of given where we are. Yeah. And we have a housing index that we use to keep an eye on the housing market. And it was quite low from, say, you know, the end of 2020. It started going down and then got very low at the middle of 2022 and has been bouncing around the zero level. The index goes from one to negative one, the last few weeks, currently positive. And yeah, I think the Fed would be willing to have real home prices come down, but let, let's not forget that the the Fed reports to the Congress of the United States, and they're never going <laughs> to say that they want home prices to go down. That is 
that is as close to sacrilege as we get in a, a secular republic. Finally, today is Monday, the 11th of September. Fed is coming next week. Unfortunately, we've got CPI tomorrow, which is which might be a big, big factor that they weigh. Do you have thoughts on where the Fed is going in September? There's been a lot of communication from the Fed officially and, and perhaps unofficially through the Wall Street Journal. And in my view, it's pretty clear that they're comfortable staying, but I don't expect another rate hike in September or maybe even in November, December, because of the next two meetings. I think the Fed is probably more comfortable with the idea that they've they've done enough for now. And let's wait and see what the impact is. Of course, monetary policy is said to famously work with long and variable lags. No one knows exactly what those are, but I would say that the bulk of the evidence to date is that the economy is cooling nicely. And maybe the Fed has you know, a real a real shot at achieving something approximate to a soft landing. And now with that said, I think CPI is going to be quite noisy over the next couple of months. There are some interesting quirks in the data that suggest that they might pick up a little bit. And you know, the question there is, will the Fed be willing to look through those things and see inflation as a general trend? Or would they be a little bit more reactive and maybe do another 25 basis point hike before year end? Mm-hmm. I agree with that standing pat is the most likely and you know we're just we have to see how inflation evolves they always say they're data dependent and i think it's definitely true today janet yellen came out today saying that she thinks it's a soft landing so there you have it (laughs) i think we'll leave it there if you would like more of our economic analysis, you can check out the Aster website, asterim, that's I-M for investmentmanagement.com, or reach out to your Aster sales rep. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Sean. To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asterim.com, or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you. Aster Investment Management, LLC, is a SEC-registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change. They are not intended as investment recommendations.